0: Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. We're going to be kicking off our new series in Hebrews this week but before we do I've got one reminder for you and then we're going to watch the next Take A Step video together. So that reminder, if you're a church member then hopefully you will have received and read the midweek update email that came out funnily enough in the middle of the week. Uh, If you did then hopefully you'll have seen that there is a link there to a short survey that we'd love for you to fill out. Uh, if you haven't got the email or you haven't, uh, you don't think you've received it then do go and check and if not get in touch and we can make sure that you are signed up to that list and receiving those emails as well as the link for uh, that survey. So you might remember a couple of weeks ago we had a trailblazer takeover and in that takeover Callum was sharing the gospel using a tool called the Three Circles. Uh, This week's Take a Step has David Barham who's going to take us through using that uh, three-circle method to share the gospel with our friends and family. So let's watch that together before we uh, start our new sermon series.
1: Hi everyone and well done for getting this far in our Everyone A Witness Take A Step initiative. You would have been connecting with people, maybe praying for them or sharing your testimony with them and now we're praying for opportunities to share the gospel. If you're already telling people about Jesus then I pray that you'll be fruitful. Carry on doing what you're doing but if you're unsure about what to say or how you would tell the gospel to somebody then I want to introduce you to a tool that we use, which is called the Three Circles. This is a uh, training video coming up that will show you how we do the Three Circles. And once you've had a chance to look at this, I'll come back and just share with you how we use this tool. Can I share with you how I drew near to God? We live in a broken world, a world that is full of wars, famines, terrorism, even in our own communities we see broken relationships and crime. But God did not design the world like that. He created a perfect world where we live together in harmony and in perfect relationship with God. Every single one of us has turned away from God and taken ourselves into brokenness. The Bible calls this sin. Now we don't like being in brokenness and we try to escape with things like money and success or through relationships or even through things like drugs and alcohol. But these are like bungee cords, those elastic ropes where you can get out for so far for so long, but you're always pulled back into brokenness. Now, God sees our hearts. So what he's done, he's made a way for us to come out of brokenness. And what happened was that Jesus came down and he lived in our broken world, but he lived a perfect life. Wicked men then killed him, but three days later he came back to life. And when he died and came back to life, he took upon himself all of our sin and brokenness, so that if we turn to Jesus and believe that he died and rose again, we can then make him the new king of our life, And start to follow his ways, not our ways. Then Jesus restores us to relationship with God. And helps us to follow his plan for our lives. That when I do this with people, they can only be in one of two places. Either they are following Jesus and they're in God's plan. Or they're in brokenness. Where? would you say you are if you're in brokenness would you like to be in god's plan if so what is stopping you from turning and believing today to make jesus your new king and being restored to relationship with god and start to follow his plan for your life is there anything stopping you doing that today if there's nothing stopping you and you want to follow jesus then how about praying with me this prayer God, I'm sorry for turning away from you. Thank you, Jesus, that you died to take my sin and brokenness upon yourself. I now turn to you and believe that you died and came back to life. I make you the new king of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for restoring me to relationship with God and help me to follow your plan for my life. Amen. So that was our three circles gospel presentation tool and it was a training video so please watch it over and over until you feel competent in using this tool but don't forget this is a holy spirit ministry and even our most humble attempts of talking to someone about Jesus God can use that gospel seed and bring it to a fruitful harvest. We always carry a pad and a pen with us wherever we go so we can draw the three circles as we explain the gospel And if you do this regularly, you will find that people will turn and believe on Jesus. And of course, the next step then is to disciple them. So we ask three questions. When can we meet again? Where can we meet? And who else can you bring along? We want to meet and start to disciple them within the next few days. But we want them to go away and to tell others about Jesus and anyone who's interested to bring them along to that first discipleship session. So I pray that you will go out with boldness to sow many gospel seeds, to share the gospel with many people. And let's pray that God will bring a bountiful harvest of souls into his kingdom. God bless you all.
0: that was helpful for you Uh, and do let us know if you get the opportunity to use use the three circles and if it helps you to share the gospel with anyone we love to hear stories and it's so encouraging to hear about what God's doing amongst our wider family and out in the community around us so it's nearly time Uh, for our new sermon series in Hebrews, I just wanted to focus our eyes uh, on God and on Jesus before we do, by just reading one verse from Psalm 102, verse 27, which is actually quoted in the first chapter of Hebrews, and it says, But you are the same, and your years have no end. How fantastic is it that we have a God whose years have no end. What a hope uh, that can give us. So before I hand over to Steve Dunn, uh, I'm just going to pray for us now. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the Lord with no end. Your years have no end. And I pray, Father, as we start this new sermon series today, Lord, that you will open our eyes afresh to who you are to the gloriousness of you uh, as our living saviour so father as i hand over to steve now i pray father will you just uh, open our eyes and open our hearts and will you just reveal yourself to us today amen over to you steve
2: good morning And yes, indeed, we have a new series for you. We're going to be working our way through the Book of Hebrews. But first of all, just want to tell you a story. There's a tale about Sherlock Holmes and Doctor Watson, and they went on a camping trip. And after um, a good meal and a nice bottle of wine, they settle in for the night and they go to sleep. Some hours later, in the middle of the night, Sherlock Holmes he wakes up and nudges his faithful friend and says, "Watson, look up and tell me what you see." And Watson replies. I see millions and millions of stars. So Sherlock Holmes says, well, what does that tell you? And Watson ponders for a minute and he says, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. And horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three in the morning. Theologically, I can see that God is all powerful and that we are small and insignificant And meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. Why, Sherlock? What does it tell you? Sherlock Holmes says, Watson, you idiot. Someone has stolen our tent. The book of Hebrews can be considered um, a difficult book. There are some profound truths and mysteries in here. Um, The trouble is we can get so much caught up in the finer details of it, which are very important, but we can end up missing what's blatantly obvious, like Dr. Watson did. We can... um, caught up in these challenging aspects which are really great there's some good stuff in here like uh, who is melchizedek the security of our salvation the dangers of hard-heartedness and so on and we will be exploring those we won't be avoiding them over the next three months but let's not get so fixated on them that we end up missing the whole point the point of the book of hebrews is that jesus is all and that's the title of our series jesus is all 11 times in the ESV uh, and in fact more times in other translations the word better is used time and time again that Jesus enables a better hope a better covenant a better possession a better life and over and over again that word is used for good reason it's in that Jesus is the ultimate Jesus is all we need and so over the coming weeks as we get to comprehend in a new way who he really is and what he's done for us and as we work our way through to the book to the end of the book where it tells us how to live in light of these amazing truths I trust as we go that this series will help us to marvel at Jesus in a fresh way to appreciate more fully what's available in him now just a quick side note before we continue we don't know who the author this letter is. Whoever it is doesn't sign it, like we see in in other books, you know, from Paul to Timothy and so on. Um, We don't know who wrote it. The debate has raged for the last 2000 years. Is it Paul? Is it Apollos? Is it Barnabas? We don't know for sure. But that's okay. Because as a letter, its content is so deeply self-validating that placed in the context of the rest of scripture, it can't not be God-breathed, as this series I trust will help prove. What we can know is that it was written, uh, as its title explains, Hebrews, to Jewish Christians, Jewish believers scattered around the known world, who these people are well versed in Jewish law, Jewish traditions, Jewish life, temple worship and so on. All these things that was their way of life before Jesus finally came to fulfil those things and brought his better way. And these people are now facing trials and hardships and even overt persecution because they follow Jesus. And this letter is intended to help them and now us to see Jesus for all he is. He is always the better option. And so here we begin right at the beginning the first chapter. This letter starts with an immediate deep dive. It goes from 0 to 60 in less than two seconds into who Jesus is and how we can be sure of that. And it's saying that God's primary expression of his love and his mercy and his goodness and his rescue is through himself. Come down to us. It's no coincidence that in John chapter one, we come to know Jesus as the word. Jesus is literally God out loud. You want to know God? Know Jesus. Do you want to see God? Look at Jesus. And so here, before we commence through the rest of the book, between now and Christmas we're going to explore uh, this a little further a little further using this introduction here in this first chapter and a bit more we're going to discover how even then Jesus is all. Don't miss the obvious. Jen is just going to read to us she's gonna be reading the first chapter and then a little bit at the beginning
3: of chapter 2. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets And your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it.
2: That if we truly absorb each individual one, it should leave us breathless. This is jaw-dropping evidence uh, for the cult that gets delivered at machine gun speed. Here's the truth, here's the truth, here's the truth, here's the truth, so much to marvel at, so much that we can't take it all in properly unless we slow down. So first of all, let's just appreciate the structure here. Notice how this whole section is written, there's these bookends we got the uh, first four verses at the beginning of chapter one that spell out Jesus's supremacy and his mighty works. And in the uh, first four verses of chapter two, we've got this bookend that, that, again, remind us of how we have heard this truth. It says primarily um, declared at first by the Lord himself, uh, that's in verse three of chapter two, and then backed up with signs and wonders and miracles and God's people himself. These bookends that are like, this is who Jesus is. And right in the middle, We've got this midsection, which upholds these amazing truths with seven quotes from scripture that they knew at the time that cement how great and how ultimate Jesus really is. Firstly, let's go back to that introduction, the first four verses of chapter one. And we're just going to again, it's going to be whistle stop anyway, just because of the sake of time this morning. But let's let's just take a look at these. We discover so many astonishing things to marvel at just here alone. Verse two. It describes that Jesus is the heir of all things, the heir of all things. Abraham Kuyper was a Dutch prime minister of over 100 years ago. He's probably my favourite prime minister in all of history. And he said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. All things belong to him by right. It's his inheritance from his father, and no one can take that away from him. Jesus is the heir of all things. But it's not even just that. Verse 2 also says uh, he created the world. Everything we see, and in fact, everything we can't see, was spoken into existence by Jesus. Every atom, to every galaxy, every tiny firefly and every flaming sun, every undiscovered species we still yet to find and they're being discovered every year, more and more, and every uncharted territory was fashioned by him. All of it has got his thumbprints all over it. He's not just the heir of all things, he created all things. And this same person, Jesus, verse 3 says he is the radiance of the glory of God. What shines from Jesus is God's unfiltered glory. The very brightness of God's majesty pours out from Jesus. Why? Because it goes on to say is the exact imprint of his nature. He, Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. That exact imprint, the, the language there in the original common Greek when this was written, was written is um, the word character with a K in the middle, character. It's where we get the word character from. Uh, Our Amy bears mine and Jenny's likeness. She takes after us in many ways, whether she likes that or not. All the good stuff and the lots of good stuff. She takes after us. She bears much of our character, our likeness. It says here, Jesus is the exact imprint, the exact likeness of God. He doesn't even just take after his father. Always a bit like him. He is exactly the same in his very nature. So when Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father, he's not overstretching himself. You want to see God? Look at Jesus. And this same Jesus, who's the heir of all things, who created all things, is the radiance of the glory of God, is the exact same nature as God. He is God. Verse 3 continues to say he upholds the universe by the word of his power, this very God ruling and reigning over all things, he keeps the universe on its existing path towards its preordained destiny, and he does so by his mere proclamation. Jesus is God out loud, and what he says goes. And it's because of his proclamation to uphold everything we know that's the only reason we're still existing right now. It's all on him, everything hinges on him. And his F. That wasn't enough. That's a God enough to marvel at. But he's so much more yet again, because verse 3 continues to say that he made purification for our sins. This scarily beautiful, awesome God, out of his unfettered love for broken humanity, he gave of himself on a Roman cross, that horrid, despicable, derogatory death, And he did so that we might be washed of our selfishness and our rebellion. He made purification for our sins. And he didn't stay there. He continues. He's seated. He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. He's seated at God's right hand, meaning that he didn't stay dead. He rose in utter victory. He said, I am God. I am all. I am victor. And he's done all that he's needed to do to deal with our brokenness. It's finished. And he's sat down and he rests now in the ultimate position of honour and rule at God's right hand. This is a God to marvel at. We need to take a breath. (laughs) What a list. Just those four verses alone. As if that wasn't enough. But the writer continues. Because he goes on to say, and it seems a bit odd at first, he goes on to say, this Jesus is superior to angels. Now, why does he feel the need to do that? For us in 21st century Hearn Bay, it seems a little bit of a whiplash. What, pardon? It may seem odd that he suddenly turns to dwell so much on angels for quite a few verses now, but we have to appreciate who he's writing to and why he's writing to a Jewish audience who have turned to follow Jesus. That angels were a big and are oh, a big part of Jewish faith in general. Angels, as we learn throughout the rest of the Bible, angels are ministering spirits. They're messengers. They're found throughout Scripture, both in the Old Testament, the Jewish Scripture, and what we what we call the Old Testament, but even the New Testament that we have now. They appear everywhere and are unavoidable in the Christian story, sometimes in people's explicit experience too, even today. I've, I've never seen an angel myself, not, not I'm aware of anyway, but I do know a number of sane Rational people friends of mine who have done so and their stories dictate it must have been exactly that that was that was an angel Sometimes they they've been in human guise. Sometimes they've been Appearing as the impressive kind of otherworldly creatures that they are because of their size and because of their brightness the author here is pressing home over the next few verses that these impressive creatures that understandably are attractive to our imagination, and unfortunately, therefore, they, t- they can veer towards being worshipped by mankind at times because of that, he's saying they are nothing compared to Jesus. They can't even compare. See, the writer to this Hebrew audience is eager for his, his listeners, his readers, to not return to their old way of understanding, but to see that the Jewish way of worship was not an end to itself and all the facets that that were wrapped up in that. But he's pointing to a better way that would arrive, in fact, by then had arrived in Jesus. So he's superior to angels. He's superior to the law. He's superior to the temple worship that we'll be hearing about later on. It's in the same way that, you know, a young child can be so... Enamoured by the wrapping paper or the box that a wonderful gift comes in at Christmas in the same way we can get transfixed by the The stuff and the oddities and the mysteries and the wow moments and completely miss The point like dr. Watson did with that missing tent. Never forget Jesus is the better way. Jesus is the better one. Jesus is all so here the writer works through a list of scriptures that they had available at the time, again, what we call the Old Testament, to show how very different Jesus is yet again, how, how holy other he is, all of which he, he does to ram home what we've already been confronted with in that grand opening. As if those first four verses weren't enough, he rams those truths home with, uh, other, from another angle, if you like. So in verse five, he, he points out Jesus' sonship. Angels aren't, aren't God's son. Only Jesus has claimed to be the very son of God. Remember, he's God's exact imprint. He's the exact nature of God. And being son also points to him being the heir of all things. It's ramming home those two truths already. God, son, is Jesus. No one else. There's his sonship there in verse 5. And then in verses 6 and 7, we see that Jesus is the one that's worshipped and the only one that should be. Angels, remember, are ministering spirits. They're not to be worshipped themselves, as unfortunately some people do. That would be like falling to our knees um, before one of the Queen's lords-in-waiting. It's completely missing the point. That's not the one who should be getting the honour in that context. And the same here. Why would you worship an angel when you've got Jesus, (laughs) who's far above and beyond? Jesus is the one who is truly worshipped and should be in the first place. And in the same verses, in verse 7, it says, He makes his angels winds, his ministers a flame of fire. He describes them as wind and fire, something kind of intangible. We, We know it, we can see it, and we can't quite get a grip on it. He's saying, remember, Jesus arrived on earth in the flesh, in order to make purification for our sins. He is a God who goes above and beyond. He's not just something ethereal. He's a God who physically entered our time and space to deal with our brokenness. This is Jesus. Look at Jesus. And he carries on, verses 8 and 9. He talks about Jesus' rule and his reign. He talks about his scepter of uprightness, which is the scepter of his kingdom. A scepter is a, a symbol of sovereignty, basically. No one else in scripture gets to wield this one. Whether angel or human, no other being, this scepter of uprightness is unyieldingly Jesus. Jesus is, it belongs to him and no one else. Then in verse 10, carries on, another ram home of these truths, talks about Jesus's creative power. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. No angel did that. Remember, every atom was lovingly handcrafted into being by him. Anything we can see and touch and hear and taste and smell and all the bits we're still missing and can't see and taste and touch and hear and smell. All these things are here because of him, through him and for him. No angel, no human, no other being could ever begin to scratch the surface of that immense feat. Do you see who this person is? Do you see him for all he is? Look at him. Look at him. And he continues. Verse 11 and 12. Talks about his eternal unchangeableness. So these things will perish. But you remain. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is unchanging. Jesus is being God. He is unchangeable. Which leaves us with a God who is wholly reliable. Who is completely dependent. Who is an absolute rock of hope for us who see him and know him we can depend on him and he'll never change and finally the author lands back in verse 13 and jesus's rule once more he says sit at my right hand so with god the father says to jesus sit at my right hand until i make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The book of Revelation, we're still in a broken world that's still in turmoil. There's still a spiritual battle going on. The whole point of the book of Revelation that talks about those final days before he wraps everything up is that the point of the book of Revelation is Jesus wins. Jesus is ruling now. That will never be stripped from his grasp. These are just the final throes of a battle that's already been won. This is one more reminder that everything is in his hands. And while we see this world falling apart around us, we can know the God behind the scenes who has not lost his grip, who operates in perfect justice and who will ensure anyone who leans on him for rescue will find it. So, I hope you see see it for yourself now. It has been a bit breathless, I know, just because of the sake of time. There's so much in here, it's amazing. But I hope you see for yourself now that Jesus is all. He is God himself himself he upholds the universe he created he is the answer to our sin and to our brokenness his work is done and he is superior in every way to everything like i said before do you want to know god know jesus do you want to see god for yourself you've got to look to jesus he's not hidden he's not hiding he's fully discoverable if we're just willing to look and to open our eyes. Jesus is unavoidably God. Jesus is unavoidably all we need to flourish as we were always meant to. Jesus is unavoidably available if we just merely pay attention to the scriptures, to the prophecy, to the gifts, to the signs, to the wonders, to his people that point that way. That is, it says in chapter 2, And so, right at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, there, the author is saying, Because of all that, everything I've just rammed home with you, (laughs) everything I've been beating you around the head with, that therefore is the word he uses. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. We've got to take this seriously. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know him, all these clues to his existence and his character, they are a wake up call to who he is if you want to know god know jesus if you want to see god look at jesus pick up the bible and discover him for yourself if you've got any questions please ping them our way we'd love to help and talk things through with you we'd love to work it out with you let's do it together if you are a believer if you do know jesus then all the signs wonders verse four various miracles and the gifts of the holy spirit those are the things we've been dwelling on just more recently now previous sermon series, haven't we? All these things that follow Jesus's arrival are not for their own sake. Let us not allow even those to become the focus. The point of them is to be a witness to Jesus as everything. So as we then go deeper over the next coming weeks, let's not get so caught up in the finer details of, of uh, all these kind of mysteries and uh, this treasure trove of, uh, of riches to delve into Let's not get so lost in them that we miss what's right under our noses, like Dr. Watson did. Let's take Jesus very seriously. Let him be the pinnacle of all that we focus on. Let him be the framework for all that we study and reflect on. Let him receive every ounce of praise that he is worthy of. And let him be all in our lives. Let me pray. Jesus, we celebrate you for all you are. We Love you. We declare you as Lord, as King, as Rescuer, as Mighty Ruler. We love that you are not only (laughs) awesome, jaw-droppingly breathtaking, made all things, own all things, rule over all things, uphold all things, but you saw our brokenness within all that and you did something about it. You gave of yourself that we might live and know you and be with you forever. We love you. We celebrate you. We're we're looking forward to what's coming in the next few weeks as we go deeper into this, into this book and get to know you even more. We ask by Holy Spirit, will you help us to do so? Help us to make much of you in our lives. May you truly in our lives be everything. In your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.
0: Thanks, Steve. I'd encourage you now just to spend some time worshipping Jesus. Let's reflect on those truths that we've heard this morning from that passage in Hebrews. In the description below this video, there are a couple of links to help uh, lead yourself in a time of worship. Um, So yeah, I just encourage you, uh, take some time now to worship our Lord. If you have any questions, if this is your first time with us, um, if you don't yet know Jesus and this morning has thrown up some questions that you want some help uh, working through or someone to ask, then uh, right at the end there's going to be some details for you to be able to get in touch with us and we'd love to hear from you. So that just leaves me to say have a great week um, and we'll
2: see you all again soon. Bye bye.